0: What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the planet today. It is Friday, November 18th, 2022. I'm your host, Matt Norton, here with our producer and co host, Nick Janusa. Nick, how's it going on this fine Friday? Matty, it's going really well. I am enjoying
1: the sunshine, even though it's really cold out. And I'm excited for Thanksgiving, man. I'm like
0: getting ready for what I'm going to have to make and all that stuff. I'm ready to go. I'm, I'm very excited. Got a couple big weeks coming up. So, Let me just do a couple quick housekeeping things. Happy birthday to my old roommate. One of my best friends, John, his birthday was yesterday. I'm actually on the way to the Poconos later today to celebrate. Ooh, Gonna get back Sunday. Happy birthday to my sister. Love you. Mean it. Happy birthday, Jules. Yeah. Happy birthday to Jules. Big fan of the show and also has been telling her kids to listen. So we got the young little TPT crowd. Wow. That's so cool. That's why we make sure Nick bleeps out our curse words. (laughs) Always, always. 99% of the time, every time. (laughs) 98.9% of the time, every single time. All right, let's test that number and let's do this. today we cover the latest in climate change, wildlife conservation, renewable energy and environmental policy with two episodes every week coming your way Monday and Friday. All right. Time for our quick hits for the week. And the first one is from
1: Agency France Puisse and is titled COP27 Climate Talks Inch Toward Loss
0: and Damage Showdown. All right. We are not going to spend a ton of time on this one because COP27 ends today as you're listening. So we're going to cover what's being discussed here a little bit, but make sure you tune into Monday's show for more in-depth coverage about what's going on at COP27. So the one item we wanted to touch on today is loss and damages. If you've kept up with climate conferences in the past, this term might be familiar to you. If not, the idea is for the developed world, the rich world, the global north, whatever qualifier you want to call it industrialized nations to essentially pay the developing world to help them adapt better to the impacts of climate change. Yeah, so wealthier developed nations
1: largely got to that point by polluting the atmosphere during development. The world's poorer nations are now stuck without the economic benefits that came with development and greater climate impacts. This has been a push by the developing world for decades now, but this year is the first time it has really been a make or break issue in climate negotiations.
0: One of the events cited by the article is the flooding in Pakistan this year, where one-third of the country was underwater, resulting in $40 billion in damage. Pakistan contributes less than 1% to the world's emissions each year and is the 41st wealthiest country in the world when measuring by GDP. So, Pakistan's not a super polluter. Pakistan is not super wealthy. But here is a country that just suffered $40 billion in damages related to climate change this year alone.
1: The key points for loss and damage if it enters the global stage after the conference closes today are who pays and how much. The U.S. and the EU have not supported this idea in the past because it sets up wealthier nations for financial accountability in other negotiations. This could also lead to open-ended demands for compensation, according to the article.
0: This year, though, the EU did recognize the urgency for loss and damage funding, with a spokesperson saying the current financing mechanisms are not able to cover all necessary actions. So that's good. Yeah, and it's also worth noting,
1: which the article brings up, that rich nations promised $100 billion per year in funding starting in 2020 to help the developing nations make their economies greener and to also help them adapt to future climate impacts. That promise has not been met yet.
0: When we're talking about loss and damage, the main thing that I want to bring up is an equity based approach versus an equality based approach to climate financing. And and that's sort of what this entire argument is about. So an equality based approach would be there's 190 nations that sign on. We want 100 billion dollars per year let's make things a little bit easier and round up a little bit and say that that means each country needs to contribute half a billion dollars per year. That sounds fair. That sounds equal. This is something that's going to benefit the world. So everyone throws in the same amount, right? No, because an equity based approach would say the United States, for example, is one of the highest polluters in the world every year. Historically we're the number one polluter. When you look at 1900 until 2022, We are the richest nation in the world, so we have been benefiting off of this way more than a country like Tuvalu, which is a small island nation that's on the front lines of sea level rise. Why should they have to contribute half a billion dollars while we also contribute half a billion dollars? We should pay more. We got more money on the backbones of this planet. So an equity-based approach is more of the countries that benefited from this system. So... The global north, Europe, the UK, us, China, you know, all those countries that have, Canada, all of those countries that have developed, grown, watched their economies flourish, we should pay more than those countries that are currently facing great threats from climate change, but haven't felt that economic boom that we all got to experience.
1: Yeah, and it makes sense that they haven't supported the idea because once you admit fault, and you admit that you were wrong to completely like destroy the the earth um, for industrialization or commercialization, you need to make up for it in some way.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's not enough to just say, hey, hand up, we emitted a lot. We are the number one polluter in the world historically. Sorry. Yeah. (laughs) Like, what is that going to accomplish? We need to atone for that. And atoning for that looks like paying more into this fund than the other nations. Yeah, exactly. So look, there's a lot that could happen today. We're recording this in advance because, well, we release these episodes at 5 a.m. on Friday. Nick needs time to edit. We can't cover everything on COP26 today. We don't want to speculate too much on what could go one way, what could go another way, because we would be here for hours. So (laughs) let's see how things play out today. Let's see how things play out this weekend. I'll release an episode on Monday that's about 10 to 15 minutes and covers the bigger takeaways from COP27. Deal. Good with me. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's go to the next one. Let's do it. So the next one is by Brad Plummer
1: of the New York Times, who writes, carbon dioxide emissions increased in 2022
0: as crises roiled energy markets. New data shows that emissions from fossil fuels will likely reach new highs this year, with projections looking like 36.6 billion tons of carbon dioxide will be emitted this year. That's a 1% increase from 2021, uh, which also comes after a decrease in 2020 related to, I don't know, everyone staying home for like nine straight months and not commuting. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so these findings were released at COP27 in Egypt with the warning that with every year that emissions do not decrease, it's going to be harder to mitigate climate change by 2050.
1: Yeah. So Glenn Peters of the Center for International Climate and Environmental Research said, every year that emissions go up makes it that much more challenging to bring them back down by a certain date. We've definitely said that before on the show. 62% of emissions come from a handful of countries, with China producing 32% of the world's emissions, the U.S. producing 14%, and the European Union and India each producing 8%.
0: And it's important to remember that part of the reason that China's emissions are so high compared to the rest of us is because we, as a global community, have outsourced a lot of our production to China. Like all of those made-in-China labels that we see on consumer goods means that the emissions are being counted for in China. Right. But people all over the world are contributing to the consumption that comes from those emissions.
1: Yeah, exactly. The Russian invasion of Ukraine and the lingering effects of the COVID-19 pandemic were cited as two reasons as to why this year had unusual energy trends, according
0: to the author. Some good news for this year. China is expecting its first decrease in emissions since 2016. The bad news is that that decrease is only 0.9 percent. But look, that's better than an increase. China is rapidly rolling out wind and solar energy, which is helping the country keep its coal consumption flat which, again, is better than an increase. Europe should also see a decrease in emissions
1: by about 0.8%. This was driven by the EU's consumption of natural gas decreasing as it cut off supply from Russia. Germany and Austria had increases in coal
0: consumption because of that, which is the downside in Europe. In the U.S., emissions are projected to increase by around 1.5% because the economy picked up this year, and with it, natural gas consumption rose Oil consumption from air travel was also up this year, probably because people are making up for missed travel during 2020 and 2021. Yep. India is expecting a sharp increase by
1: 6%, which is the largest driver of emissions growth this year. The rest of the world is expecting around a 1.7% increase in emissions, with coal emissions hitting record highs in response
0: to natural gas prices increasing. The International Energy Agency had a recent report that said that global fossil fuel demand is likely to peak and level off sometime between now and 2030, which is a silver lining, I guess, in this report that says that emissions are still going up. The closer that it can be to 2020 when those fossil fuel demands peak, the further from 2030 that the demand peaks, the better. Yeah. and like.
1: Here's the thing about making plans and stuff is exactly what we just said in this in this report is life happens, like stuff happens and you can't account for literally like a pandemic, you know, basically completely yeah. stopping all travel um, for the most part at least for literally like like you said, nine months to a year and then also people's consumer habits changing. Like all of that is... Mm -hmm. is uncontrollable and you can't account for everything. Things are going to happen that's unexpected and it's important to have a solid plan in place but also be able to adapt. But when S word hits the fan, you have a backup plan.
0: Yeah, for me, it's always like show me the benchmarks. I'm so sick of countries saying that they're going to be carbon neutral by 2050, you know, 80% renewable by 2040. Like, okay, show me 2035, show me 2032, show me 2030, Exactly 2028. What are you doing to get yourself there? Because all I see when someone says, by 2040, we're going to have this, is that's not a problem they're going to worry about until 2039. Yeah, And we have so many years of evidence that every single time someone says, by 2030, we're going to have this much of this, all of a sudden our emissions are still increasing and it's 2022. Like instead of 10 years to get, to whatever we have. Now we have eight years. Yeah. And why are we making it harder on ourselves year after year instead of just planning ahead and going for it? Yeah, agreed. Agreed. So the IEA also calculated that this year's rise in fossil fuel emissions would have been three times as large had it not been for the rapid deployment of wind turbines, solar panels, and electric vehicles worldwide. So when we talk about Congress approving $370 billion in spending for wind turbines, solar panels, nuclear power plants, hydrogen fuels, electric vehicles, electric heat pumps, this is why that spending is important because the increase in emissions could have been three times as high had we not been proactively spending on those things that are making society better. But we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we actually have three quick hits for you, and they're a little bit quicker than these first two. Build your own bundles from limited edition colors at valalta.co and save 15% with code TPT at checkout. That's V-A-L-A-A-L-T-A.co and code TPT.
1: Welcome back to the planet today, folks. Next up, the next Amazon, Congo Basin Faces Rising Deforestation Threat by Jack Graham of Context.
0: Whenever we talk about deforestation, I feel like most people in the US, myself included, default to the Amazon. It's the largest forest in the world, it's the one we think of the most. Last week, we talked about the deforestation pledge from last year's COP26, which 140 countries signed to help protect all of our forests. At COP27 this week, world leaders have aimed to ramp up their efforts to make that pledge a reality. A new group of countries is seeking to increase funding with new commitments totaling $106 million from Great Britain alone. The Congo Basin
1: is the world's second largest rainforest, so it's encouraging and necessary to see countries prioritizing it with the deforestation pledge. The Congo Basin saw deforestation actually increase by 5% in 2021, and funding its protection is seen as one of the best ways to address this.
0: The issue is that many of the pledges here do not have specific objectives or proper measurements to see how those pledges are going in real time. Very similar to what we talked about right before the break, where I was getting angry about benchmarks. Like, this is kind of the same deal. You know, we need something to say, sure, we have this goal by this date, but What about in between and how do we track that progress along the way? Yeah. So this is the same issue we ran into last year with a fund created to end deforestation, but we're off to a very slow start and don't have nearly enough funding to get there at the moment.
1: Yeah. And world leaders have said at COP27 that the Congo Basin's role as a carbon sink is being underestimated. A carbon sink absorbs more carbon than it produces, and this rainforest absorbs about 4% of the world's emissions every year. The Congo
0: Basin has dense, tropical peatlands, which are known for their ability to absorb carbon. The rainforest itself spans across six countries and is home to 75 million people, 10,000 tropical plant species, and endangered wildlife like forest elephants and mountain gorillas. It's abundant in rare metals like cobalt, which is an important part of the renewable energy transition, so mining is one of the key threats that the rainforest faces as part of the deforestation overall picture. It also faces illegal logging, fossil fuel exploration, and deforestation for agriculture, although in this case, that last one is less common than the others that we mentioned here. Analysts
1: say that the main challenge is economic development for the Congo Basin's countries, but in a way that's also sustainable for the forest. The fund created at COP27 can be used to incentivize behaviors that help protect and maintain the forest. Marie-Claire Paz said that in Gabon, the country hopes carbon markets can encourage further investment, with businesses paying for forest conservation to offset their emissions. And her organization is supporting the government to ensure that carbon credits are robust.
0: Yeah, and and my concern here is that some countries will continue to increase emissions and just pay developing nations to help protect their forests. Like, it's better to do that than to just increase your emissions. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're going to increase... Or you're gonna stay flat, pay someone else to decrease theirs more than they can currently afford to. And and in the grand scheme of things, in the global emissions picture, that does work. But I feel like offsets don't always work the way they're supposed to, because sometimes countries will continue to increase and then just like kick some money out and be like, all right, like we offset it. We did our part.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's it's like what we talked about last week with Giselle on, on the show. You're basically just when you're doing that, when you're taking sorry, when you're putting money towards um, a carbon credit, basically, that's what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. You're basically bunting with no men on base and you're just putting it on the next guy. Yeah. Like now next guy's got to get a hit. So it's not you doing anything. It's just pushing it further down the line for someone else to do something. And it's not really going to help us get to carbon neutral.
0: Yeah. And and in theory, and here's the reason why some people and, and a lot of people like carbon credits is because... You know, Nick, let's say that you can't afford to get solar on your house, uh, but I want to keep emitting a ton of carbon emissions. So instead of us both trying to decrease where you can't really afford to and I don't really want to, I can just pay you to do it and I can keep living my lavish lifestyle. So mm-hmm. that's why some people like carbon credits. But right. I will say I think the case we're making is really valid that like we need everyone to be lowering emissions. So it's better to buy carbon credits and, and offset what you're doing if you're not going to do anything about your actual emissions. right? But it's it's way better to just have everybody decrease and then also have that fund set up for the people that can't afford it. And by it, people in this analogy, we're talking about countries. Yeah, exactly. I, prob- I probably hung on to that analogy a little bit too long and confused some people, so my bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. Uh, one more quote from Marie Claire Paz to close this one out said, we need to figure out ways of helping to maintain the forest cover that we have right now and do it in a way that is totally supportive to the economies of those countries. The world will pay for it otherwise. Mm. And that's the thing with climate change. Like you, you either pay for it now or you really pay for it later. Yeah. And I think a lot of us are ready to pay for it now.
1: Yeah. Agreed. And if you're not, get on the right page. All right, our next story is from the Spokesman Review, where Kip Hill writes, New dwellings in Washington state must be warmed by heat pumps rather than furnaces, beginning in July. State Board Rules Friday.
0: All new homes and apartments built in Washington state must use heat pumps starting next summer. This will push homes away from natural gas and cause their heat to come from electricity throughout the state, thanks to a 9-5 to vote by the Washington Building Code Council. This is part of Governor
1: Jay Inslee's carbon reduction effort that focuses on reducing emissions and increasing energy efficiency. Last April, the council voted on a similar requirement for commercial buildings, and now residential
0: buildings will have to follow the same requirement. It's important to remember that this is not only something that will generate less emissions now, but it paves the way for a zero emissions heating solution whenever Washington state can be 100% powered by renewables.
1: Some on the council worried that this would be a premature shift that increases the cost of buildings, but the state is legally obligated to increase energy efficiency by 70% by 2031. Any delay to this state law would make that goal increasingly harder to achieve.
0: The new law does allow for new home builders to install backup natural gas systems that would kick in when temperatures reach extreme lows in the winter, but for the most part, heat will come from electricity in Washington state in the near future. And that's really exciting. And, you know, to, to their credit, right? The people who are concerned about increasing costs and saying that this might not be the right time to do this, they, those are probably valid concerns, but like, if not now, then when, and you, you can't just keep passing this along down the road and just hoping that the right time is going to hit. Sometimes it takes a state code like this to say, Hey, Builders, you're all going to do this and you're going to find a way to do this yeah. instead of just waiting for the market to let it occur naturally. So, you know, I'm, I'm siding with the nine the nine people on that council who voted for it.
1: Yeah. Okay, let's get into our last quick hit of the week. And it's by Jennifer Mosselog from Electric who writes, France to require all large parking lots to be covered by solar panels.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm pumped about this news. It's something that I you know in the solar industry a lot of us have talked about this is something that makes a lot of sense so to hear france doing this at the countrywide level really really exciting so existing parking lots and new parking lots with spaces of at least 80 vehicles will now need to be covered with solar carports french president emmanuel macron's plan to invest in renewables includes multiplying the amount of solar energy produced in the country by 10 and doubling the power from onshore wind This new law will begin on July 1st, 2023,
1: and gives five years for compliance to be met for parking lots that have between 80 to 400 spaces. Anything over 400 spaces has only three years to meet the requirement. For the larger parking lots, only half of it will actually need to be covered.
0: Yeah, so government reports say that this plan, which focuses on commercial centers and train stations, could generate up to 11 gigawatts of electricity which is the equivalent of 10 nuclear reactors. This does exclude parking lots for trucks that carry heavy goods and parking areas in historic or protected areas. So you don't have to worry about any sort of historic sites being quote unquote ruined by solar arrays at their parking lots. Either way, this is gonna generate a lot of clean energy.
1: Yeah, for sure. France is also considering building large solar farms on vacant land found alongside highways and railways as well as on agricultural lands where feasible. The government hopes to install 190,000 square meters of solar panels in 156 areas around the country by 2025, and 1.1 million square meters by 2030. This should help reduce energy consumption by 25%.
0: This is something that I would love to take off in more countries because it literally checks off every box that needs to be considered. You know, you for me, it generates clean energy, which is one of my top concerns. For other environmentalists, it doesn't require any land clearing. The parking lots are already there. You know, there's going to be new parking lots, but they're going to have to comply with this as well. But this also includes the mall you're thinking of in your hometown, where all of a sudden it's generating a ton of clean energy and powering that big shopping center just with the sun. Like that's awesome. And then three okay, let's say you don't care about clean energy. You don't care about land. All you're concerned about is going to that mall. Mm. In the summer, when you go to the mall and you get back to your car, it's hot. You park under a giant solar canopy, it's <laughs> gonna provide shade. So your car isn't 150 degrees when you get in it. Yeah, that was, that was my immediate takeaway was like,
1: okay, the extreme heat of the summer, when you get in that car, that first thing, you are miserable, like you're like, yeah, just kill me at this point. I don't know. Like you already get the sweat on the back. You get the sweat on the brow. It's immediate. And it's feels so like it's gross. You just feel <laughs> trapped. Yeah. You feel disgusting. And then the other thing I was going to say was when it snows, guess what? You don't have to clean your car. Yeah. You know, Hey, you got a cover. You're good to go.
0: Yeah, exactly. It, it's like the more, the more you look into it, the more you're like, this is a no brainer. Yeah. Uh, agreed. So I'm, I'm glad France did it. I hope that more countries follow suit. This is awesome. Yeah. All right. That'll do it for today's episode of TPT. Like we said earlier, on Monday, I'm going to be back for a COP27 update for the people. Yes. So the
1: conference ends today. So Matt's going to go do a shorter recap episode with what's going on today and what we can expect moving forward.
0: Until then, please go give the show a five-star rating and review wherever you can. Follow our socials at Planet Today Pods. Send us an email. You know where to do it. And you can follow me on Twitter at Matt Norden. Nick Janusa produces our show and makes all the music you hear throughout. Nick, where can people keep up with you? You can keep up with me at
1: soundcloud.com slash budlyncape. And that is B-U-D-L-Y-N-C-A-P-E. Go
0: check me out, y'all. Our logo was made by Kaylee Veitz. Have a great weekend, everyone, and we will catch you right here on Monday. Peace!